evening. We have Super Kids Super Camp coming up in two weeks. We are very excited about it. Uh, deadline to sign up is Monday, Monday at 5 o'clock. And so there's a good opportunity for you to be involved there. We look forward to camp. My name is Brian Trias. I'm the family pastor here at Fellowship Bible Church. And I actually just got back from camp. Uh, we did a children's camp in Romania in a small village called Odebesht. And I want to thank uh, you guys for your generosity. Uh, because of the generosity of this church, we're able to bless a couple of churches in Romania uh, beyond their wildest dreams. And we're able to provide a marriage conference out there for them and a uh, kids camp for them. That um, I don't think you understand when you just walk in and you come to church and you sit down how much you are a blessing to people around the world. And so I want to thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be a part of that. I want to invite you to turn in your words today and your, in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Uh, what I want to talk about tonight is history. Uh, I have been fascinated from history from the time I was a small child. I don't know if anyone in here has seen the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I loved that movie growing up. Uh, but I was the unusual kid. Um, I would pause the movie and I would go out to my encyclopedia and, and after Genghis Khan would come on the screen, I would go read about Genghis Khan. I, I've just always loved history. And so there's this famous line about history that says, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And it's true. If you look throughout history that there are times where people just make the same mistakes over and over again. In fact, our Bibles are filled with this. If you look at the history of the, the Hebrew people, they make the same mistakes that their fathers made. And God continues to give them punishment and curse for that. But I also think that you can look at history the other way. You can look at history, and instead of not learning from the mistakes, you can look at the positives in history. And you can look at how people have come before you and made great decisions. They have gone against evil. They have shown courage. They have been heroic. We celebrated that two weekends ago here with our honor service. People who stood up at the time and did what was right. And tonight I want to look at a few people in our lineage who have done that. And so I invite you to turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to spend most of our time in chapter 11. But before I get to chapter 11, I want to set up what the book of Hebrews is talking about. You see, the book of Hebrews is written to a church who's in crisis. It's written to a, a, a group of people, many of whom are on the fence about their faith. There are people in the church who are strong believers, who are making good decisions, who are following Christ with everything they have. But there is a large group in this congregation who are on the fence. They understand who Jesus is. They understand what he did. They can tell you the stories. They've seen the benefits of being in the congregation. But yet they don't know if it's worth it to jump in with both feet. Because when they jump in with both feet, they're going to be forsaking their family. They're going to be forsaking their security and their comfort and their safety. And so they want to make sure that they are in it for the long haul before they, they make these decisions. And so the author to the Hebrews is pleading with these people. And for the first ten chapters, he is going after them with who Jesus is. Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better than the law. Jesus is the one that you need. He is worth forsaking everything that is in your life to follow. And as we come to chapter 10, verse 32, he begins to address the believers. 
And he says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You see, these people who are following Christ, who are trusting in Him with everything that they have, they're going through a terrible time. They're being persecuted. They're being chased. They're having things taken from them. And he says that the reason that they're able to do this is because they know that they have a better possession and an abiding one. And so he encourages them in verse 35. He says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. It's that future that he's talking about again. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. He's talking about Christ Verse 38, he says, But my righteous one shall live by faith, hearkening back to the work of Habakkuk. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. You see, there are people in their midst who are shrinking back. There are people in their midst who are saying, This future possession, this this future reward, this hope that I can look forward to, it is not enough for me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to cling to what I hold dear. And he's saying that that is not living by faith. And those are not the ones who Christ takes pleasure in. But he takes a stand in verse 39. In verse 39 he says this, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who cower. We are not of those who are going to turn back in the face of opposition. We're going to keep going. We're going to demonstrate this faith. And it leads us to what we are going to talk about this evening. That assurance of future hope leads us to walk in faith. That when we know what we have, as he talks about in verse 34 and 35, what we know what is coming, it leads us to walk in faith. The author defines faith in verse 1 of chapter 11. He says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So he's saying that you can be assured of what's coming. You know what we are teaching you about, that one day Christ is going to come back and he's going to come back for you and you're going to go spend the rest of your days with him. And in this new heaven, in this new earth, there's going to be a place where you're no longer going to have any suffering. There's going to be no pain, no tears. There's going to be no anything that wrongs you. There's going to be a place where sin does not exist and death cannot sting you anymore. And I haven't even gotten to the best part. You see, this better possession that we have is that we're going to get to live with our God. And the author of the Hebrews is looking at these people and saying, you can have assurance that this is coming. You can trust that this is coming. You can base every decision you have on it. And the rest of the sentence says, it's the conviction of things not seen. You're going to make a stand. You're going to um, bet everything you have on this principle. And so I want to fill in these two blanks for you that I believe are going to help guide the course for the rest of our message. It says, faith assumes a hint of risk. You can't have faith without assuming a hint of risk. 
just by nature of what faith is, it requires you to put your faith in something. I could bring a chair up here on stage, and I could set a chair in front of you, and I could talk about all the benefits of a chair, and how it's really cushiony, it's really soft, and when I sit down, it's going to hold me. But if I just stand here the entire time and tell you about the benefits of the chair and do not sit down in the chair, I'm not actually placing my faith in the chair that it would be able to hold me. You see, I can talk about it, Until I sit down, until I take that risk, if it's going to hold me or not, I'm not demonstrating faith. Yesterday, I got on three airplanes. You can talk about airplanes, and you can talk about how nice they look, and the colors that are on them, and all the gadgets that are inside of them. And you can say, this plane will safely get you from point A to point B. But if you stand on the outside of the airplane the entire time and you fail to get in the airplane and trust you, trust it to get you from point A to point B, you're not demonstrating faith in the airplane. And so by nature of what faith is, it is assuming a risk in our part. That what we are banking on is something that we have not seen. We have not seen our Savior. We have not seen our future that is coming. But we are making our decisions based on something that we believe is there. And we are going to hope in it with all of our being. The second thing is faith assumes a step of action. Faith assumes a step of action. It's not enough just to assume the risk. You actually have to step out in faith. Put your money where your mouth is. You see, what we like to talk about faith is, is something that we do every week. I, I, I have a deep faith. I come to church and we sit here, we participate in a worship service. And I, I come and I, and, I, and I do some of the things that are expected of me and this is my faith. I might get in the word, this is my faith. But I want to talk about how the ancients dealed with, uh, dealt with faith. And it involves risk and action more so than I think when we talk about faith. He goes on to say, For by it, in verse 2, the people of old received their commendation. Faith was the way that God um, related with them. He says, By faith, in verse 4, Abel offered God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Well, what's the story of Abel? Abel and had his brother Cain. And Cain and Abel, they were the the sons of the first parents. And they were involved in agriculture. Cain raised vegetables and Abel raised livestock. And it came time for them to offer their sacrifice to the Lord. And it said that Cain took some of his livestock. But it was very clear that Abel brought the first and the best. Well, you think about life as a farmer. Life about farmers is all about risk, right? You don't exactly know how much is coming when you plant. You don't know what the, what the harvest is eventually going to bring. And Abel here is taking his first and his best and is giving it to the Lord because he believes the Lord is worth it. And the Lord deserves his first and his best and he was commended for that by his faith, or for his faith. You see, he assumed a risk and he took a step of action, but he was commended for it. In verse 7 we read, By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen and reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. 
By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I want you to think about Noah for a few minutes. I am 32. I'm going to be 33 here in a few weeks. I can't even imagine what it looks like for me to turn 40 yet. Okay? I don't know why that's funny. I just can't. (laughs) Noah was 350 years old when God told him to build an ark. 350. They lived in an environment where it's most likely that it had never rained before. They did not live that close to a body of water. And he said, you need to build a boat. And so Noah began to build a boat. And Genesis says that he followed all of the Lord's commandments. Can you imagine the mocking that he went through? Can you imagine all these people who lived in his surrounding area coming and saying, you are a crazy old man. It, there is no water near us and you're building a boat. Why would you do this? He put his reputation on the line. He put everything on the line because he believed that his God was worth it. And he obeyed everything that he was asked to do. And 250 years later, 250 years later, Noah saw the fruit of his labor. When he got on that boat and the rain came and washed away everything else that God created except for the animals and his family who were on that ark. You see, Noah put his faith in God. He assumed a risk. He took a step of action because he believed that his God was worth it. And he believed in what was to come. The next story is Abraham. It says in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him to the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So you're Abraham, and you're living in Ur, and you have a family that is a pagan family. And all of a sudden, a God shows up at your doorstep, who you do not know, who you have never met, and says, what I need you to do is to leave everything that you know. I need you to leave your family, your security, your comfort, your provision, everything that you have here, and I want you to just wander until I show you where I'm going to take you. And I am going to build an incredible nation through you. It sounds too good to be true. But yet Abraham obeyed. He put his risk on the table. And he took a step of action. And there's a lot of stories that go into the story of Abraham, but it is revealed to him that he has a child of the promise, and this child of the promise is going to be Isaac. And when he is a hundred years old, and he is older than we can even think of conceiving child, he is given this child of a promise, and he worships his God, who is able to uh, go through all the human things that we can't see and provide a child. And a few years later, God says, that child of the promise, that one who I told you everything is going to come through, yeah, that Isaac that you love so dearly, your one and only son, I need you to take him up onto the mountain and I need you to sacrifice him to me. 
I have three children. I'm not parting with one of them. This is his one and only son, this child of this promise that he was lured out of Ur for. And it says this. It says, by faith, in verse 17, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Isaac was as good as dead, because Abraham was going to obey his God. Because to Abraham, it was worth the risk. Because his God was big enough to deliver. And so he took that step of action. In verse 20, it says, By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. You see, Isaac didn't even receive what was promised to Abraham. You see, Abraham was given a promise of land, seed, and blessing forever, that they would have this great nation that they would come to, and yet Isaac didn't receive that. Isaac had two sons, but he passed the blessing on to Jacob. And it says in verse 21, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. You see, this promise that they were given, they did not receive fulfillment in their lifetime, yet it did not deter them from demonstrating faith. And then we get to Moses. It says in verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was a child, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured his seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. You see, they had just come out of Egypt. They had just seen ten miraculous plagues. Plagues that we could not reproduce. Plagues that Pharaoh's magicians could not reproduce. They had seen great things and they got to the Red Sea. And Pharaoh's army was coming after them and they stared in the midst of the Red Sea. A death. They couldn't turn to the right or the left because of the climate and behind them was the Egyptian army. There was no way out. And what did Moses do? He acted in faith. He took a risk that God was able to come through. And what God did was he parted the Red Sea. We talk about that like we've heard it a million times. He parted a sea and made them a walkway to walk through. But that's not even my favorite part of the story. He made the land dry. If I were to sit up here and pour water on the ground and, and scoot it to the sides, it's not going to be dry. That's not what water does. But yet God is greater and was able to show up when his people act in faith. Verse 30 says this, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. You want to talk about stories that don't happen, right? So here you have a group of, they say roughly 40,000 men. 
and they're warriors, and they're ready to fight. And God says, all right, you ready? We're going to go take Jericho. Here's the plan. You see that city up there? You ready? You're going to go walk around it. And then you're going to go back and sit down. And then tomorrow, you ready? You're going to go and you're going to walk around it. You're going to go back and sit down. And for six days, you're going to walk around the city and sit down. But on day seven, day seven, are you ready? You're going to walk around the city seven times. And after you've walked around the city seven times, we're going to blow some trumpets. And then are you ready for what you're going to do? You're going to shout. You're going to yell as loud as you can. Watch. And they do it. They walk around the city. They step out in faith. Can you imagine what these warriors in Jericho are thinking? Here's this mighty army come to, talk, come to take us. And they're walking around the city. What a bunch of wusses. Why don't they come and take us? But they trusted in their God and his plan. They put their risk. They did their action. And on the seventh day, they walked around seven times. And they looked at it. And they blew the trumpets. And they shouted. And the walls came down. That doesn't happen. I, I, I ask you today, when you're done, go walk around the building. Come back five more days. Do it again. Come back next Saturday or next Friday, whatever seven days is. Walk around seven times and yell at the building. Nothing's going to happen. But God shows up when his people demonstrate faith. And I love verse 32. Verse 32 is the, this sermon's going too long. I need to wrap up quickly. It says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets. All of these stories, these great stories that we could tell, I don't have time to tell you of all of them. But you have a lineage of faith who through faith they conquered kingdoms, action, enforced justice, justice, action, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of the lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead back by resurrection. Great stories of faith. You look back at our history. We have things we can look back on and say our God was faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. But things change a little bit here in 35. He says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Because he wants you to know that living a life of faith does not always mean you're going to have a Red Sea experience. Living a life of faith does not mean you're going to walk around Jericho every time and the walls are going to come tumbling down. Sometimes living a life of faith, stepping out in risk and stepping out in action, means that you're going to be sawn in two, that you're going to be flogged, that you're going to be mocked, that you're going to be persecuted for your faith. You see, this thing we call faith is not easy. That's why it requires risk. 
I've struggled with these verses for a long time in my life. Because I look at my life and I, I say, I'm, I've never been stoned. I've never been threatened to be sawn in two. I, I don't go about in sheepskin. I'm not destitute. I don't feel afflicted and don't feel mistreated. And you see, I think in America we have other forms of persecution. We have apathy. We have people who don't care. We have people who take their faith flippantly. We have people who are on the opposite end of the spectrum from this. They are not being killed through these physical things that are happening to them. They're being killed through an easy faith. We're not stepping out in action. We're not assuming risk. Maybe because we have it too easy. He finishes this in verse 39 and 40. He says, And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not have been made perfect. You see, these saints who have come before us, these ones who have lived by faith, they did everything in their lives having not received what they were promised. See, I believe so often we are looking for our promise now. We are looking for our comfort now. We are looking to follow and trust so that we can have the things we need now. And what the author of the Hebrews is saying to this church way back then is I am calling you to a higher standard of faith. I am calling you to a standard of faith where you might be persecuted, where it might harm you, it might cost you something. And yet the only thing you have, you might have to hold on to is a promise that a better day is coming. As believers, we believe that a better day is coming. We believe that one day Christ is going to return and he's going to right all wrongs and he's coming back for his own to take us home. But until then, we're called to live by faith. So how do we do that? How do we live by faith? How do we assume risk? How do we step out in action to what God, the things that God is calling us to do? I believe our answer is found in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out for us. Let's look at this in parts. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I believe this is talking about two things. The first cloud of witnesses that it's talking about is chapter 11. You have a great cloud of witnesses who have come before you from Abel to Enoch, Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Moses to Samuel to David. You have a great line of people who you are from, who have passed faith down from generation to generation. You can look at their lives and say, God was faithful to them. He can be faithful to me. They held on to his hand when they didn't have anything else. I can do the same. I believe we have another cloud of witnesses. I believe that it refers to our church body. That we have each other to look to. 
that we can look at the stories of faith that I know in our body, that we know in our small groups, and we can see Jesus being faithful in the lives of his people now. And if Jesus is being faithful in the lives of his people now, he can be faithful in our lives. Since we have been surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. There are some things that we need to get out of our lives. There are some things that we just need to renounce. When it comes to faith, I believe one of these things is comfort. That we will exhibit faith when it exists in these little boundaries. When it doesn't affect my time, when it doesn't affect my finances, when it doesn't affect my hobbies, when it doesn't affect these things, I will give God all the faith he needs. I believe when the author of Hebrews is writing to the people, he's saying you need to throw off all these things that are holding you down, all these things that are holding you back from what God has to offer you because you have a better promise. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set out for us. And then in verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The only way that we are going to be able to exhibit faith, that we're going to be able to assume risk and take a step of action, is by keeping our eyes on Christ. By spending time in His Word, by spending time with His people, by talking to Him in prayer. And here's the great thing about spending time with Christ, about fixing your eyes on Him. You realize that it's not a risk at all. You see, you have to talk about it being a risk because all these people took a risk. But they're betting on a sure thing. You see, one of the ways God describes Himself in the Old Testament is having the cattle on a thousand hills. And so in a farming environment, this makes perfect sense. Your money is not paper, it's not coin, your money is in your livestock. You have these animals that are around you, and if you have a few animals, you're doing well. And if you have more than a few animals, you're really doing well. And if you have enough animals to put on a hill, you are wealthy. He's saying, I'm I'm the guy with the cattle on a thousand hills. You can't count my wealth. You can't count how well I'm going to come through for you. When you bet on me, you're not betting on something that's a risk. You're taking a human risk by stepping out. But you're betting on the one who is coming back for you. Who's going to give you an inheritance that's better than anything you could ever ask or imagine. And so whatever it is, whatever he is asking of you in this lifetime, give it. Assume that risk. Step out in faith. In our announcements earlier, we talked about the message next week. It's a vision Sunday. It's a state of the church. I can tell you, I've been here for seven years. I have never been more excited about what God is doing in Topeka, Kansas, through Fellowship Bible Church. I want to encourage you to do everything you can to be here to hear from Pastor Joe. And I want you to come ready to step out in faith. For what God is going to do here, we are going to need to assume some risk and to step out in action. 
with our time, our talent, and our treasures. I think we're ready for it. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for history. I want to thank you that we have a lineage of faith that is rich. That all we have to do is read our Bibles to know that you have been faithful in the past. You have been faithful to saint after saint after saint who has looked at the world and said, it is not worth it, and have turned and followed you. Father, may we be a people who follow you richly and deeply, who keep our eyes on the sun. Father, make us look like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.